Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, welcome back to I've Never Had an Original Thought with me, Becky Lee. This week's episode is gonna expand your mind. You need to get your critical thinking hat on because I'm joined by the amazing Lucy James, who is a very old friend of mine who I've known since I started secondary school. Uh, she has a master's in philosophy and that's what this episode is all about. It's about philosophy. It's about her experiences studying philosophy and we basically start to scratch the surface on simulation theory and some other interesting philosophical thoughts but as you can tell in this episode my mind is blown multiple times and yeah we're on the crisp of some really interesting thoughts here so I hope you enjoy it as always please reach out and give it five stars if you liked it and I will speak to you at the end okay bye Hi everyone, welcome back to I've Never Had an Original Thought. This week I'm joined by Lucy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, just because I think, to know, it reminds me of being in school a little bit. <laughs> like, to answer some really difficult philosophy questions in front of, this time, an imaginary audience. Um, but... I always have fun when I get into it. So. That's good. And you've just finished your Master's in Philosophy, so you are hopefully very knowledgeable about the big questions that I'm going to ask you. Well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, but the first question that I ask everyone, which could be a philosophical one, probably is a philosophical one, is who or what is maybe one person, idea or event that has changed the way that you've seen the world? Yeah, it's that's a real hard question, I think. <laughs> Um, I knew it was coming because I listened to a couple of episodes of your show before I came on today, um, which is great, actually. And you've had some amazing, amazing people on there. It's really nice to hear people's stories. And, you know, I think it's great that people can be so open and willing to share those things. It's really inspiring. Um, yeah. My answer, I think, isn't going to be a philosophy one. Um, I think because, I mean, having studied philosophy, I think is an event that changes your perspective on life. And I don't think that is always down to like one particular idea or person within the subject of philosophy. I think it's more the process of critical thinking, Mm. which changes the way you see the world. Like, when I don't know when I when I tell people that I studied philosophy, I generally have uh, there's a few common reactions, and one of them is like, "Oh yeah, like the mind and that," and I'm like, "No, that's psychology." And then I guess, "Oh, so what is philosophy?" And um, that, I mean, that's a really difficult question as well. <laughs> but normally, I just say it's the study of knowledge, and um, it's basically trying to figure out the meaning of things and you know what is this world that we live in and what does it mean and then from that you have all other kind of sub you know um what's the word yeah subtopics within that broad theme but I think that's the and another answer that I like to give is um philosophy is science before we had science Mm. that is people can relate to that a little bit more because science is so ingrained in like our culture today um that kind of makes more sense I'm like oh yeah so figuring out things I'm like yeah pretty much that's it um 
So yeah, I feel like studying philosophy, I'm, I mean, I guess it's a different experience for everybody. But for me, it was just a series of controlled mental breakdowns <laughs> over a series of like four or five years. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't say that lightly. Like there's been times where that has been really, really difficult and like really challenged my, you know, mental health as well as mm. kind of my worldview. Um, it's kind of a, a joke. Oh, I, I remember telling a friend of mine that I'd met, um, she'd studied philosophy like a few years back and she said to me, well, if you're not on antidepressants, you haven't really studied philosophy yet. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, I don't know, I found that quite funny. And at the time I wasn't, but I soon ended up on antidepressants for, for a period of time while studying philosophy. Because, it, you know, it, it is very difficult to fundamentally challenge everything that you've ever believed. And... Mm. Um, which if you, I think if you study it properly and engage with it, you know, as much as you possibly can, that, that it does tend to have that effect where you do kind of have, to, you know, go through like these mini kind of breakdowns of all your thoughts and then you go through a process of rebuilding them. Yeah. And you're like, you know, entertaining so many different narratives that could explain you and your life and also the world around you and others' lives. Um, it's literally just overthinking all the time, you know, <laughs> being in a constant state of overthinking, <laughs> which, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's exciting and fun, but it's also quite challenging. Um, so I went off on a bit of a tangent there, sorry, but that's philosophy. I think, um, how that affects people's lives and particularly that has been my experience of philosophy and that has affected how I see the world yeah um but in terms of like one you know specific point I think for me it's more events and experiences that have that I can like pinpoint like that um so I've I've chosen two because one of them is like very extreme and it's such a crazy story that it's really hard to believe. And the other one is just so normal and everyday. Mm. I think that's good to mirror them because it kind of makes sense of like, obviously if you have something like really mad happen to you, that's going to change the way you think. But also those very small day-to-day things can be equally as significant. I think it's important to remember. So the first one, which is the really mad story is, um, when I was, so I lived in China a few years back um, as part of the Liverpool University Exchange Programme, um, which is called Year in China. If anyone's listening is a student at the uni, I 100% recommend doing it. Just apply for it. Don't think about it. Just do the application. And, you know, you can always pull out if you end up not wanting to do it or if you have funding issues or whatever, but just just apply because it really has been one of the most amazing things that I've done with my life. Um, and I think that's a very common common belief among people who've done it. So, yeah, um, I was living in China for a while as part of my year in China. And in our winter break, I was travelling around Southeast Asia. Um, and I did part of it with a group that I'd met at the China course. Because um, I hadn't really... I didn't really know many people before I went out there who were from the university. I knew one or two people that I'd been friends with in first year, but hadn't really spoken to in quite a while. And that was it. So like, it really was like I was going on my own, but I had like a support network of people who I knew were from Liverpool. Um, And I made a few groups of friends. So when everyone started planning their traveling trips, um, I was asked if I wanted to join and, I thought, yeah, that's probably a good idea to, like, you know, you kind of have both experiences then. One experience of travelling with a group and one experience of travelling on your own. And I think they are two very, very different things. Um, So I started off with a group. We, uh, where did we go? The Philippines first, I think. We went to a couple of different places 
within the Philippines. And then after that, I left them and went to Thailand on my own. Um, I like flew into Bangkok and then immediately moved from there up to a place called Kanchanaburi, mm-hmm. which is quite a rural part of Thailand and is uh, right next to a huge national park with just acres and acres of forest. Um, and the idea really, I just wanted to get as close to like nature as possible. And it was kind of restricted because I don't drive. So there's only so far that you can get in, into the forest without having to like, you know, hire out a car and like drive for hours to get right into the center. And even when you do that, you have to kind of like find a guide to show you around mm. because there's so many, like there's elephants and shit there, you know, there's like so many wild animals that it's really, really dangerous. So you need somebody to show you around. and. At the time, I just didn't, you know, that option wasn't available. So I stayed uh, somewhere on, like, the main strip, I guess, of Kanchanaburi, but um, it was quite, quite a, yeah, quiet little, somewhere in between a hotel and a hostel. Um, it was very modest, you know, and but it was good. It was really nice. And I'd been staying in um, hostels and, like, shared rooms for a while, so it was nice to, like, even though the room was like very, very small and there wasn't anything in there except for a bed and a toilet, it was really nice to just like be on my own for like a couple of hours for the first time in a while. Um, Anyway, back to the story. So there's one time I'd planned to go uh, to see a set of waterfalls. Um, I think it was called Erwan, which is near, um, oh my gosh, what, what was the name? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to pronounce it because I'll get it wrong. Um, but there's a place there that is right at the end of um, the old Thai Burma railway, and uh, it's like a, a famous, like kind of stop stopping place. I think it's called Sam Noi Yok, but some some something like that. Um, and I decided to go there and then um, walk up to these waterfalls that were nearby. And I reached the end point of the track because the railway is still in use. They have like a really old train running on like a wood and steel railway line. Mm. Um, and it's still it's still going now. So it carries on through Kanchanbury and that goes to the last stop where the railway is like becomes disused and broken. And um, I'd read online like on, I think it was Lonely Planet or something, some kind of travel guide blog that the best way to get to the waterfalls was to go to the last stop and then hire a little taxi Mm -hmm. I kind of had that in mind but on the day I got there and it was like a really nice sunny day and I had lots of water with me and I looked it up on the map so I was like oh it's only like less than an hour's walk and I like walking so I'll just walk Mm -hmm. so I started following the old railway track um, and like I tried to carry on in the direction of the track, like following the little broken bits because I don't I like adventure, you know, anything that's like got mm. that Lara Croft, Indiana Jones, <laughs> you know, I'm really into that stuff. So it was fun. It was fun for me to kind of follow this track. And um, at one point there's like a, a piece of track that goes over a, what would you call it? Like a... Um, like a big dip in in the ground, yeah, which is about twenty foot. This okay. is twenty foot drop, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll just walk across. There. It's fine." I was like weighing up my options. Like, well, the worst that's gonna happen is I probably break an ankle, and there's like there's enough people nearby that someone would hear me eventually. So I'll just go for it. And um, I walked across this broken track and got to the side, and I was like, "Yeah, cool." Made it. I can carry on my journey, and then pretty much the second I stepped onto the ground on the other side, I heard a dog barking. And then this dog came like towards me and kind of sat probably two meters-ish away. Mm. I was like growling and like salivering at the mouth (gasps) and just, yeah, barking at me really, really loudly. And I was like, okay, you know. I'm obviously in this guy's territory, I'll back off. So 
I like slowly started to back off and he was like edging closer. So then I had to go back across the broken railway. This time I was running, not walking. Um, and then I got to the other side and I was like, okay, like, I, you know, I wasn't too far away from the railway station, probably about 15, 20 minutes. So I was mm. like, I'll go back in that direction, try and find the main path where the cars have been going down. Cause it, the roads there is like, they're not like main roads, yeah. they're, you know, sandy paths yeah, in between yeah. like um, very rural, like farm type houses. Um, and there was like a very, very small like farming village there um, with probably about, I don't know, 10 to 12 at max little houses. Yeah. Um, which were like, I think made of wood. Um, so yeah, very, very rural and I tried to get back to this main sandy path because I'd seen a couple of taxis drive down there and there wasn't any people about but I got onto that path and I was like okay you know I feel a little bit safer now I can still hear the dog barking but it was a bit further away and I started walking down this path thinking that I was kind of in the clear and then I heard the barking get closer oh my god and slowly started to realize that um basically the road had been like a v-shape yeah. So when I followed the track, I'd gone, like, down the right part of the V. Yeah. Um, and when I'd come back, I'd ended up going down the left part of the same V, but it eventually connected into the same Yeah, yeah. Run. So the dog had obviously just gone around the other way and followed me. And then I started to hear more dogs. <laughs> and what ended up happening was I was I found the original dog had come to the side and was like following me and edging me in and then I tried to go down another path because it was like a series of the houses were set up in a way that there was kind of like streets one big road running down the middle and then like kind of cross points yeah, yeah. With in between. Um, and what happened was I was trying to like take an al- alternate path and there was dogs coming from like all angles. Oh my God. <laughs> I ended up surrounded by six or seven dogs, big dogs. Like, I don't know what breed they were, but you know, like nondescript, slightly wild dog. <laughs> um, and I ended up, yeah, surrounded by about seven of them, all growling and barking and, and salivering at the mouth. And there was nowhere for me to go <laughs> because they'd come from every direction so I ended up climbing onto the top of a kind of some kind of pickup truck slash van that was parked outside one of these houses but I couldn't see anybody like there was no people around probably because it was the hottest point of the day I guess everyone is inside trying to get shade um so I was just stood on the top of this van and the dogs were kind of like jumping up at it like trying to get over onto like the you know how, like, when you've got, like, a pickup truck kind of thing, there's, like, one main bit, like, yeah. the head of the van, and then there's another bit which is a bit lower yeah. to the ground. Um, so the dogs were trying to get onto that part. So I ended up climbing on top of, like, the head of the van. And I remember just being stood there and just kind of being in a state of pure panic, like... I've never known my brain switched from like being Lucy to just being an animal that needs to escape these other animals. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, when you study psychology or whatever, I mean, I guess it's well-known knowledge, but the whole fight or flight response to stress and how like all stress kind of comes from this instinctual need to a predator but it's it's very rare that we in our waking normal lives especially in western society are put in a position where you are literally being you know threatened by another animal and it's i mean it's truly terrifying but it the weird thing about it is that you enter this alternate state of mind where Mm. you're not really having deep or complex thoughts you're just thinking like how do I escape this 
Yeah. And your body is like just firing ideas into your head without you having much time to think about them. Your heart's going, you're absolutely pouring with sweat. And I found myself thinking, okay, I can't outrun seven dogs. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try and trick them by jumping over the side of a fence and hoping it takes them a couple of minutes to work out which way I've gone. And then I started thinking, okay, I'm going to lose a limb here. <laughs> so which limb is worth losing? <laughs> like, which one is going to set me back the least in my plan to escape? I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I could probably do without a hand. I'm going to have to sacrifice a hand for the sake of having both feet so I can run away. Um, so you start having really crazy thoughts like that, but you, you don't have time to like think about them like emotionally, yeah. you know, it, like it's just like, okay, plan, go. And I was just at the point where I was about to like make my jump over the back of this fence and try to run away from seven dogs when I heard this um, this kind of clonking sound, like wood mm. being beaten on something. And I looked up and in the distance, there was like this uh, elderly Thai lady and she just had this very long wooden stick and she was just banging it on the ground like a couple of seconds apart. And she just came walking over to me. I think she was, she might've been singing as well. Um, but I'm not sure, but she was making some kind of vocal sound and she was beating the stick on the floor. And then the closer she came, I realised that the dogs were starting to calm down and they were still angry and, like, very much focused on me. Mm. The closer she came, they kind of backed backed away and were behind her. So, like, obviously she had some kind of mastery with these dogs. I mean, I think what happened was dogs belonged to this little village instantly recognized me as an outsider by my and um and just went into you know attack mode um so yeah this woman came battered a stick and then just like held out her hand to me and let me climb down from the vr and then she just walked with me to the end of the path until there's like a gate and then the path carries on Mm. and she just walked me to the end and then kind of gestured like okay you you can go now and um yeah man it was a crazy thing because this woman had you know pretty much saved my life or at least one of my limbs and I couldn't even thank her because you know there was a big language barrier there so I was kind of just gesturing you know with my hands Mm. thank you thank you so much um and that was the end of that really and I just carried on with my walk and I went to my waterfalls and I had a really lovely day after that. But you weren't um, I'd have been shaken I would have I wouldn't have been able to move for like a good hour. Yeah you I don't know man you think that but it it's a weird thing it's like you just enter a different state of mind yeah. and I've never ever known that to happen before I've never experienced anything like that and this is why it's such a profound thing to happen to someone right is that it's not necessarily about being chased by an animal or like being bitten by something it's it's the place that your mind Mm. goes when that happens and I think to have that experience reminds you that at the end of the day is you know intelligent as we may think we are like we're still animals and we are still very vulnerable Mm. and it kind of puts all other fear responses into perspective. So, you know, like I struggle with anxiety, but nowadays when I'm feeling very anxious about something, I can kind of separate and be like, okay, well, what's the worst that can possibly happen? And normally the worst case scenario isn't really that bad. Yeah. Like you might be nervous about talking in front of a, a big crowd or performing on a big stage. And then you think, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I fall over and make an absolute fool of myself. It ain't that bad. You know, like, my life's not in danger. Nobody in my surroundings is going to be really hurt. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, And also, I think it, you know, it makes you feel less embarrassed about the kind of animal parts of being a human, which I think in the West... I don't know, maybe that's a generalisation. I think especially Brits, we have, we're very embarrassed about, like, mm. being a human animal. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of tea, uh, chicken, chicken, tongue-in-cheek, sorry, mm. tongue-in-cheek ways of kind of skirting around those things. But at the end of the day, 
we are animals. We need to eat. We need to drink water. We poop and we have sex. And, you know, that's that. Like, that's what animals do. And I don't think that you have to be ashamed of them. I think they are a very fundamental part of the human experience. And I think the over-focus on, like, reason and intelligence and thinking as being the thing that is fundamentally human sometimes is a little bit misguided and it leads us to kind of push those very fundamental animal things aside. So um, being reminded of that in a very scary, scary situation, I think made me link those two things back together in my head. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm fine with it. Like, I know for sure now that I'm an animal. (laughs) um, I don't need to resist that idea. And also I think the fact that I just kind of was able to deal with that without having to overthink it made me realise, like, okay, maybe I am a bit more able to survive than I might have thought. You know, mm. I, I'm, I seem to be quite good in those really scary and crazy situations and seem to recover from them quite quickly. So that made me feel a lot more confident in, in terms of, like, my everyday life. It's like, well, if I can, you know, overcome this. I mean, I didn't, obviously. I got saved by an elderly time lady, but... The point is, like, if you're able to overcome having experienced something like that, I think everything else becomes a little bit easier. So it's a good perspective shift. Um, that was a very long story. I that think. was an incredible story, though. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, when you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I am an animal. Like, I have such cognitive... Is it a cognitive dissonance away from the fact that, like... Mm-hmm. And when you were saying, like, all these things, I was thinking, oh, God, the Enlightenment, like, that was everything that it was about. It was about how humans are just so well thought out and we're so mm-hmm. clever and we're but we're in this hierarchy of, you know, the planet and we're obviously the most intelligent because mm-hmm. we have consciousness, even if we do, you know, it's like a... Oh, it's so weird. It is it's weird to think about, but I think, you know, it, it's important to remember that we are animals. I know. <laughs> and, you know, we have intelligence, but it doesn't mean that other living things are less valuable. And, you know, I think that there are other living things on this planet that have intelligence. It's just not, we view it in a way where, you know, it's not, we don't consider it the same thing as what we experience. But I don't know, man, like if you look at, recently I've been getting really into octopuses. <laughs> is the octopi <laughs> octopuses um they're just so fascinating and they've been around for thousands and thousands of years like cephalopods which is the uh you know category that octopuses and squids i think as well belong mm-hmm. to are older than the dinosaurs like Mad. that is so crazy <laughs> so crazy they've been around for so long and when you look at um, octopuses and the way that they navigate their environment you realize like damn these guys are really intelligent and they think outside of their brain like they have consciousness in their tentacles which like they their tentacles basically can think independently from one another so you'll see one tentacle react to something and then others will start it, it's honestly crazy go watch some youtube videos about octopuses because it will blow your mind and definitely put your idea of intelligence and consciousness um to question um but yeah animals we are we are animals i don't think we're as good as octopuses i think they're probably more intelligent than us <laughs> yeah, that's crazy um we could spend so long talking about this but i want to move on a little bit because I want you to answer my big questions, my big philosophical questions. So my first one, and I keep saying this a lot because people are like, how can you not believe we're in a simulation when like X happens and something will happen to them or they'll see like this person and then they'll see this person like again and they're like, oh my God, I'm just like in a computer simulation. So according to you, are we? Um, oh God. I don't have a yes or no answer, of course, because I'm <laughs> um, yeah, I think the idea 
that we're living in a simulation is not as outrageous as it seems when you say it. And the more that you look into the ideas and debates surrounding it and the kind of origin of that idea and the current, you know, contemporary philosophy surrounding simulation theory or virtual reality mm. as well, um, the more you start to realise, like, oh, yeah, this, I mean, this absolutely could be the case. And we can't prove it, but we also can't disprove it. So we could be, is my answer. Um, that doesn't mean that I believe we are, but we definitely could be. Um, yeah, simulation stuff. I think one of the main people who's talking about it at the minute would be Nick Bostrom. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a Oxford mathematician um, who's kind of switched fields and he's now a philosopher. Um, and he published a paper, um, I think, early 2010s, oh, oh, maybe 2015. Um which was called Why We Are Most Probably Living in a Computer Simulation. Wow. The name of the paper. And it's not that that hadn't been spoken about before. I think Mm. the idea of simulations and alternate realities have been about for quite a while. And, you know, especially in sci-fi, it's it's been present for a little bit. And the, the way philosophers talking about it as well before the 2000s but what Nick Bostrom did was he spoke about it in terms of mathematical probability oh wow so it wasn't just like hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He basically put, you know, a very scientific and objective and quantifiable um, way of thinking about simulation theory into the play, which hadn't really been properly considered. Mm. Um, And I think that was quite an important shift because it made people think about it as not being like some, I mean, I think a lot of philosophy gets pushed aside as being crackpot theory or, you know, like, I don't think that. I think some of the ideas people people think that they're really ridiculous because they're not commonsensical. Mm. And he took something that was very much like a wild philosophical take and 
brought it into like mainstream culture like oh no this is just the most realistic understanding and basically UX I mean it's based on logic as kind of idea but he starts off with um three propositions uh the first is that all advanced species become extinct before they reach technological advancement which is developed enough for them to create a simulation the second proposition is that there must be a strong convergence among um technically advanced species in terms of values that stops them from wanting to create simulations or number 3 we are most probably or almost definitely living in a computer simulation and the idea is that if both of the first propositions are found to be false then the third proposition is found to be true um so the argument basically is that you know he's talking about the fact that like we've become technologically advanced to an extent where we're starting to experiment with creating mm. other realities virtual realities ai's simulated experiences and that's you know still in its early days but we're doing things now that we would never have thought possible 50 years ago yeah. and with technology advancement we have you know a thing called exponential growth which is that the more time passes the shorter amount of time it takes for us to make significant developments in technology mm-hmm. so you know basically in principle like it might take a thousand years for us to get from having uh, no wheels to having wheels but once we've got the first yeah. it only takes 10 years for that wheel to become the most rised but you know basically the growth becomes much faster the further on you get so he thinks that it's absolutely very possible that we will have technology to create simulated experiences and simulated worlds very soon and he says that then it's kind of a natural part of the evolution of technologically advanced species to want to do that um and the two reasons so he basically thinks that there's two possibilities for technically technologically advanced species who are interested in making simulations either one they become extinct before they reach that point so you know let's look at humanity we're living in a time of absolute climate crisis and mm-hmm. you know m- ma- massive political conflict so it could be the case that we become extinct before we reach our peak advancement technologically um and perhaps if there is other intelligent species that have been before us or will be after us the same thing has happened to them mm. um or even in the present in the infinite universes that exist because part of this theory means that you have to accept the belief in the idea of infinite universes we are just one in a long stream of different universes some of those are simulated some of those are not most probably were in a simulated one that's kind of another thing that you get later on in his argument that's crazy uh, the second one is that the idea that there must be some kind of universal ethical thing that is shared among all advanced species that stops them from creating simulations where they're like oh actually this probably isn't a great idea so let's not do this um and he basically argues that both of those things are very very unlikely when we consider an infinite number of universes therefore it's very likely that simulations do exist and it's more likely that we are in one than not but what what do we mean by simulation because when i first started thinking about simulation theory it was me playing sims 2 at like 11 and i'm being like oh look i'm controlling this little thing on a screen and then i was like hold on Hold on. What if someone's <laughs> making all my decisions for me and I'm just like I'm their sims. So what yeah. does, what does he mean by simulation theory like is there some greater being that is like what like we're in a Truman show esque? Yeah, thing? almost. I think the idea is that there has been an intelligent species before us that has created a simulated 
reality. He calls them um, ancestor simulations. Okay. So he thinks that the main reason that people would want to do that is to understand what life was like for people before them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like trying to relive human history. Um, I think that's his, his main idea, but definitely he calls them ancestor simulations. Um, and then when you put, when you create these virtual realities and that means that, that, I mean, that's where the simulation comes from, people creating technologies. I think that you, an easier way of understanding it is we are interested in virtual reality, right? There's kind of, we're starting to have virtual reality gaming and virtual reality headsets and like we want a, a immersive experience of what it's like to be a different person or a different being. And I think the more we start to engage with that, the more we get into wanting to actually um, experience somebody else's life mm. or experience an alternative life mm. through use of virtual reality. And once we're in that headset, there's then a layer where there's another universe, which is the VR universe or simulated universe. And the conscious thing that has the headset on then takes on someone else's consciousness. But yeah. I don't know, I think it's hard. It's really hard to imagine. Yeah. I don't think um, it I don't think it necessarily needs to be something that we can and will comprehend. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. And I think the you know, the more that technology advances and the more that we play with virtual realities, the more we kind of can begin to comprehend what the simulation is. But I think the easier way of looking at it is that basically what is being said is that this reality that we live in, our world, is not the ultimate level of reality. There's other universes, other species that have come before us, and there's other realities that will come after us, and there's an infinite number of possibilities, and we just so happen to be in this one, and it's very unlikely that we are the OG world, okay? Mm. So the world before us. And I think... Um, so one of my favorite philosophers, David Chalmers, has an interesting take on it where he basically says that, you know, in simulation theory, um, the computer becomes God. Mm. And that that is a better way of thinking about it, is that us were saying is that there was a creator mm. that created our world and that creator is a computer simulation. <laughs> But everything I keep coming back through is like we we still keep trying to understand it through a lens in which we understand. For example, like mm-hmm. we're saying computer because that's what we know what a computer is. But mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is a computer to someone else that doesn't know what a computer is? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're trying to understand simulation theory through a lens in which like we know things. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I This is interesting because something... My, right, I've finished my master's in philosophy and I'm hoping to do a PhD. And the main thing that I want to do my PhD on is about cultures of thought. And that's obviously very vague, but the kind of idea which most inspires me to continue reading philosophy is that I'm interested in the difference between science and religion and Mm. at what point science became this objective truth and why we are so willing to accept science but so unwilling to be open-minded towards religious ideas of thought because in my mind they're kind of the same thing it's a way of humans to understand the universe by way of experience right like at the end of the day science measures things but it's using our experience of the behaviors of the matter around us so it's still using experience like there's no science without experience oh my god every time i say like science isn't like it's not objective Mm -hmm. people are like are you being ridiculous of course it's objective and i'm like no it's not objective because we experience things through our own reality so it's not i don't know well the thing is science is what it's trying to do is create objective principles Mm. um so it's an objective theory it's trying to find things that are universal that will always happen like 
it's based on causality, right? So um, if A plus B equals C, then C equals A plus B. And it comes back to this kind of tautological thing where science looks at causal behaviour and uses that to um, deduct kind of principles about the way things will behave in the future Mm -hmm. based on the way things have behaved and doing tests to say like well if we do this will it change the behavior and if we do this will it change the behavior and then you come up with a set of laws which describe how things behave Mm -hmm. but what science cannot do is prove that those behaviors exist and behave in exactly the same way outside of the human mind yeah so science cannot prove that there is a mind independent reality that exists right because that is inachievable because we're all limited to human a human mind's understanding of reality and the reason i find that so so interesting my mind is like (sighs) yeah (laughs) Um, the reason I find this really interesting is because I think it puts into perspective how logical religion actually is. You know, we're looking, religion explains why there is a universe. That's so interesting because the, the classic narrative around religion, especially used by atheists today, is like, that's so illogical. That's yeah, exactly. their main thing that they go to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think basically the the reason that we think that way and there is um (laughs) there is such a kind of (laughs) i think the reason that we have that view of things is because as you were saying before about the enlightenment right there was like this cultural shift Mm. around the 17th century where everything became about reason and intelligence and objective truths Mm. and that just stuck and that's the paradigm that we've been living in and we haven't moved on from that really in the western world though yeah yeah definitely and that colors our ideas of what is a reasonable and what is not a reasonable thought or a way of thinking about Mm. things and but the whole idea of what is reasonable is being gatekept by this like particular philosophical movement by privileged white men. <laughs> um, it all so, goes back to them, doesn't it? Every time. <laughs> um, so basically, when I um, when I was in China, I wrote a paper, um, which was I modified it and had it published in the undergraduate journal in the University of California, which is called Falsafa. Um, go check out their website if you're interested in what I'm about to say (laughs) that is an issue three but what they're doing is a really good thing and they've got some really brilliant ideas about a variety of philosophical topics from all around the world so definitely check that out but um I wrote this paper called um it was about ancient Chinese philosophy and the title was like is there any room for Lao Tzu's ancient Chinese philosophy in the contemporary world And in the paper, I compare the ancient philosophy of Taoism and contemporary Western scientific realism Mm. in terms of their metaphysics. And I basically argue that the fundamental things that they are describing or that they are observing are not dissimilar what is dissimilar is the language used to describe those things. So science has created its own language, which is, you know, measurement and objective principles and behaviours and causality. And ancient philosophies tend to have a religious spin on sometimes, but then Taoism, I think it's a bit different. It's not strictly... Ah, it's just, it's a bit, it's a bit different. It's not like a typical religion, Mm. you know, it's not like Christianity or something. Um, And in uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is like the main piece of literature in Taoism. So what is Taoism, sorry? uh, Taoism is an ancient Chinese philosophy. 
that talks about um, the nature of the universe, basically. Okay. And there's this book called The Tao Te Ching, and it's very short. It's less than 100 pages long, and it's written like poetry. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it's in two parts, and it explains that like the nature of life and the nature yeah. of being. And yeah, in it, I basically say that these things aren't actually that similar. And then I start to question, so why is it that Western scientific civilizations, if you want to call them that, or why is it that modern Western culture dismisses that as being mystical nonsense, if you like? Mm. And basically what it comes down to is that it's a, it's about it's a cultural thing it's a cultural bias and it's about language and the fact that science has now among like um lay people what i mean by that is just like it's kind of like generally or it's like common sense belief that science is just truth yeah and i want to break that down and say no <laughs> science is one of the best theories we have for understanding the world but it is still fundamentally a theory Mm. and we shouldn't accept just science and not consider anything else like we still have to be open-minded and we still have to be critical of the science and i think what's interesting is that most not all but most like established scientists like who are like at the top of the field would probably agree with that and they do see science as a theory but for some reason in like modern culture and education system, but I don't know how I'm going to prove that one, but um, there's a general belief that science is just truth and it's not viewed as a theory and it's not viewed in the same way as religion would be, even though, you know, in realistic terms, religion is trying to do a kind of similar thing. It's trying to understand the world and why things are the way they are and what that means and what will happen in the future. And I think this is a really interesting idea because it makes you realise that philosophy, science and religion are not as distinct as we Mm. might think they are. Does that make sense? Definitely. They're just... (laughs) I think just as humans that thought because we have such a consciousness, also feel free to disagree with me. I think because life is so messy and actually nothing makes sense, hardly ever, it's very rare we find things that really make sense. Um, and actually I would argue that love is the only thing that makes sense and it makes me so cringy. But every time I think about love, I think God, it's the only thing that ever makes sense. Like I think that's the only thing I was ever was born to do. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I think, yeah, these are just all ways in which people are just trying to navigate the world that we live in because nothing makes sense, you know? And mm-hmm. just, they're all just different ways in which people find comfort and people want to learn. And there's knowledge and then there's the knowledge that we know. And there's such an infinite space in between those two things. Mm-hmm. Anything we can do to fill those gaps, just natu- as animals, as animals to survive. Yeah. We're yeah, just yeah. trying to do it. And I think that's really, I think that's a really good thing to think because it keeps you open-minded and mm. it allows you to respect other cultures and other communities and other religions in the same way that we respect science. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think when I talk about these ideas, a lot of people think that I'm, like, anti-science, mm. which absolutely is not the case. Like, I love science. I yeah, think science yeah, yeah so amazing and so clever and you know I'm trying to learn more about that all the time and the more I learn philosophy the more I want to learn science like Mm. at the minute I've been trying to read (laughs) read a book on quantum theory (laughs) and then yeah I really love to set myself easy every every day girls now always with the big challenges but when I'm reading things like that it really makes me think wow like this it's so clever and Mm. It's so beautiful in a way, yeah. like especially when you get in, into the mathematics of it. Um, but another thing I find is that, you know, even quantum theory, it kind of started with philosophy. Like, you know, the ideas that we have on like the reason that we know the distance between the Earth and the Moon and the Earth and the Sun was because 
a philosopher thousands of years ago decided to measure the sun's reflections on the earth with a stick you know and it's like I think that's often forgotten but I think philosophy and science and religion are all trying to do the same thing and I really would like them to kind of be open to each other a little Mm, bit more mm. and I think most of the time philosophy tends to be the thing that is open to both science and religion because it's seen as a bridge between them Mm. I don't think science and religion need to be as fundamentally opposed as they are and I think there is also oftentimes a resistance among scientists towards philosophy who think well we're the ones doing the real work Mm. and you know as much as I respect the work of science I really do I think that that that's not helpful and I think we all should you know try to work together I guess to understand things more fully um so yeah that's that's incredible actually I think it's a perfect note to end on and Lucy, I need you back for a part two. I d- I, we didn't even <laughs> scratch the surface of what I want to talk about. Um, and I can cut this out if you say no. But please say yes. No, yeah, absolutely. I'd love, you know, I really do love to talk about philosophy. And I think with because you're talking about such big, big questions, mm. it is hard to fit it into, into such a small time. So I would absolutely be willing to talk to you some more about it. But yeah, I think that is a good point to end on really, is that yeah we have to think about our cultural biases definitely and another question that I know that you always ask your guests mm-hmm. <laughs> is um what do you think people should talk more about and what do you think people should talk less about yeah and for me I think I would like people to talk less about truth and fact as being some like absolutely certain set in stone thing mm. and think more of it as something that people agree on that's what truth is yeah agreement and yeah man I think we need to think more seriously about the fact that like actual truth is unattainable to us so we should explore all options and especially when we're trying to think about things like the nature of matter or where our universe comes from or what is consciousness I think it's definitely going to be more progressive if we consider all options and all thoughts. And what's really great about following that idea is that it does begin to diversify um, knowledge mm-hmm. and it kind of opens up the field to everybody. Like everybody has a right to think about these things and to talk about the things they think. And nobody is like, you know, religion isn't stupid because it's not science and science isn't superior because it uses maths. Like all Mm. of these things have some degree of validity and all of them can be used badly and for evil purposes, you know, like I think that's something that we associate with religion. It's like, well, you know, a lot of people... I think the word religion has very negative connotations now Mm. because there's been so many wars and violence and conflicts that are caused by religion. But at the end of the day, like, I'm sure that there's things that science has done which have had terrible, terrible effects as well. I mean, eugenics. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Or, you know, even evolutionary theory, I think, Mm. has some very, very interesting and negative ethical consequences when you follow it all the way through in regards to um different civilizations difference you know different civilizations race sex um there's some very bad things that can come from that if it's used in the wrong way so yeah i think that we should be open to all ideas and you know we don't need so much opposition between like things don't have to be so separated and so distinguished from one another especially when we're talking about these you know really really big ideas I think what's important is that any one of these kinds of understandings of the world whether it's religion or science or maths or 
whether like me you believe that octopuses are gods um, I think the important thing is that we don't use these in a way that is unethical mm. and will harm other people mm, definitely we can talk about the ethics of that yeah we will in part two we will and <laughs> I didn't I think I I think I've had octopus before, but I will never eat octopus again after this conversation. <laughs> but then I remember when you were saying earlier about octopus and squid, I was going, there goes that calamari. I'm never ordering calamari ever again. How could I do it to such a conscious being? Yeah, no, no, it's interesting like that though, because I'm like, I've gone through different dietary phases as well. Like I've been vegetarian, I've been vegan, I've been pescatarian mm-hmm. and I've been pescatarian for how many years is that now? Seven, maybe eight years. Mm. Um, in the past, I've been vegan on and off for probably about two years. Mm. I've been non-pescatarian, vegetarian for a total of probably five years. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm, always, I'm not always changing my mind on, on that stuff. Again. But the one thing I was going to say is that since I've started learning so much about octopuses, I really, and squids, I don't eat octopus and squids no. anymore because I really do view them as being some, wow, crazy, intelligent life. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah, go watch some videos about octopuses. If you take away one thing, <laughs> it's that octopuses are really cool. So go check them out. <laughs> Fab. And if people want to catch you before the next episode, where can they find you? Um... Yeah, so, well, my Instagram is just lucy.hope.j um, and I don't know if I should share my email address publicly, but you can message me on there and I'll share my yeah. email with you. And I'm on LinkedIn and it's just Lucy Hope James. Um, I love talking about philosophy, so if you are interested in it and have any questions about anything that I've said today or just want to chat about philosophy stuff, then hit me up, give me a message. And if you're looking for somewhere to start learning about philosophy, then um, check out the Pan Sidecast podcast. How's that spelled? Pan. Oh God, right. I always get the P and the S in the wrong place, but I'll I'll link it. Yeah, Becky will link you in. But if you search it, even if the spelling's wrong, it will come up. Um, Pan Sidecast. I think it's P A N P S Y C A S T. Possibly that um that P and the S of the other way around or the why anyway it's hard to think about when it's not written down <laughs> but if you google it it will come up and they yeah they're doing a really good job of making philosophy more accessible to people who haven't studied it before um and they cover all kinds of topics and they speak to some really really amazing people and yeah they're really good guys i've helped them out a bit over the past year like doing some voluntary work and um, during my master's and I've just started working with them again and they're really yeah they're doing a really great thing so if you're looking for somewhere to start that's that's my top recommendation it's a really good place also I think the accessibility of philosophy and with academic subjects is something that I'm also very passionate about so all new things we can talk about and thank you so so much again I'm kind of going to be in a bit of a meltdown after talking to you but that's okay I hope you have a lovely day and I can't wait to speak to you next time yeah thank you so much for having me it's been really fun um and yeah go easy on yourself don't think too hard about these things um you know you gotta stay with it in your waking life as well like but um yeah I hope I hope it's inspired people to just have a little think maybe Thank you so much for listening to another episode of I've Never Had an Original Thought with me, Becky Lee. I am super excited to have Lucy on for a part two. I hope you're excited too after listening to that episode. And as always, if you liked it, please share it. You can share it on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but make sure you tag us so I can see that you're out here loving the podcast. Um, And you can also rate it five stars or even just drop me a a line at notanogthoughtpod, so N-O-T-A-N, OG Thought Pod and you can also read out Lucy and I will put everything that she mentioned in the thumbnail as well. Okay, have a lovely week and I'll see you next time. Bye!
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.